Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk. Welcome to all of you that are in the room with me uh, right here. Welcome to those of you who are across the hallway here at Brader Way, the Gospel Fusion uh, venue. Uh, welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are like uh, at home and you're uh, watching online. Clearly, most of Blackhawk Church, that's what is happening right now. So uh, welcome to uh, all of you. And a special shout out to those of you who are not in uh, the United States. A shout out to my new friend Dwight uh, from the Netherlands. It was good to do a Zoom call with you this last uh, week. And if you're part of our Blackhawk Chinese uh, ministry, Dijong Zimei Ping An. Good to have all of you uh, with us uh, today. And for those of you who are, let's just round of applause for all mothers right now. Everybody, round of applause. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. This is it's what I love about a live venue. You can actually get a reaction. It's awesome. And a round of applause for all the graduates from UW. Let's have it here for those. Yeah. Woo. Yes. That's good. All right. There you go. All right. Imagine something like this happening to you. You're at home, and um, you've decided to have uh, dinner, and all of a sudden there is a knock at the door, or your doorbell goes off. It's not completely startling, because you know it's springtime, and you know people who have lawn care businesses are going around and knocking on doors. So you get up, you grab your mask, and you go to the door. You open the door, and there's a guy there smiling at you, and his name, he says, is Bob. He says, hi, my name's Bob. How are you today? You say, oh, I'm okay. Annoyed that you're at the door. <laughs> and Bob says, uh, I know we don't know each other. I know we've never met, but I would like to come into your home right now and teach you all about life. I'd like to teach you my values. I have an education, and I hope your kids are at home because I want to teach your kids uh, also. And I'm going to teach you about uh, your body. I want to teach you about sexuality. I want to teach you about how to make decisions, what to do with your money, and how to spend your time. I want to come in and teach my values to your family. Now, what would happen if something like that actually happened to you? You, I mean, many of us would like, you know, we want to call the police, you know, or at least we'd look at this person and say, who do you think you are? trying to come into my home and bring your values into my home. But that's exactly what happened last night in your home if you turned on that big screen TV that you bought and you connected to one of the streaming services that you pay for. People that you don't even know, you've never even met, come into your home and they teach you in, an, in a very creative, persuasive way their values. And they hope your kids are at home. Because in an age-appropriate way, they can teach them also. How are you going to decide about what you're hearing? Whether you buy it or you don't buy it. You believe it or you don't believe it, whether it's true or false. How are you going to make that decision? Because a lot of what they have to say is really, actually, really good. 
I mean, if you want to find out about the weather, you need to turn on your big screen TV. Or if you want to learn about how the Cubs are doing, you should turn on that big screen TV. Or the Brewers, or the Badgers, or the Bucks, or the Packers. Is Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay or what? You can actually turn on that TV and find out those kind of things. But they're also selling you something else. How are you going to discern what's right or wrong? What's true or false? What's good or bad? Especially when many of the people who are trying to teach you don't actually believe in something like truth and something that's false. Well, if you are part of the worldwide, multi-ethnic, multi-century, global church of God, you will want to grab your Bible. Because you have learned that you can make decisions about what is right or wrong by reading or listening to the Bible. That's the historic Christian answer. You'll grab your Bible. Now, some of us would like to say that we would grab our Bible. We know that's the right thing to say, and we'd probably say that on Sunday when we're surrounded by Christian friends. But Monday through Saturday, yeah, we're not going to grab our Bible because our Bible is it's a confusing book. The Bible is actually not a book. You guys know that, right? It's a library of books. And you, you've come to the Bible before with confusion, and you leave the Bible with more confusion. And to be honest, this Bible is confusing. So you, you, you know you'd want to go to the Bible, but that wouldn't be your first reaction. What we're going to talk about today at Blackhawk Church is, what do you think? It is the Bible. I'll just tell you right now what the purpose of the message is. My purpose today is to fire you up so that after you listen to this message, you will want to read the Bible more than before you listen to this message. Take your Bibles or your devices and turn to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. And just a word to those of you who are watching right now, or maybe you're in the room with me right now, and um, immediately when you think, oh my gosh, she's going to talk about the Bible, I don't even believe the Bible. I actually don't think it's trustworthy. Let me say something to you. My first words to you is, welcome to Blackhawk Church. Because... Um, your attitude of not trusting the Bible, that's exactly my story. That's where I was. I was where you are right now. When I was an undergraduate in Indiana State University, I, did, I thought the Bible was very famous. I knew it was published more than any other book. I knew all that kind of stuff. But I thought it was just a kind of a, a conglomeration of kind of goofy stories that were not true. And it had a lot of mistakes in it. And then I met a man who was a journalist for the newspaper who was covering the sport that I was in. And his name was Mike. Mike was smarter than me, and he actually trusted the Bible. 
Mike knew that uh, in my undergraduate, I was going through biology and chemistry. He knew I had all kinds of questions about science and faith. So he introduced me to a man named Dick Wood, who had a PhD in microbiology from Penn State University. And Dick was a lot smarter than I am. And he trusted the Bible. He's the first working scientist I'd ever met that actually trusted the Bible. Since then, I've learned that there's thousands of scientists like that. We got a few of them in our church, actually. But that was new to me. And my mind, well, I had an open mind. I'm not going to say that they answered all my questions, because they didn't. But if you don't trust the Bible, welcome to Blackhawk Church. You are where I was. Who knows, if you have an open mind, heck, you might even end up being a pastor one day. All right. Do we turn to Ezra 7? We're going through a, a series called Homecoming. And it's a five-part series as we are looking at what happened to the people of Israel as uh, they were in exile and then they come back into their home in Judea and Jerusalem. The five-part series uh, is uh, continuing today, and let me look at the calendar right now, and I'll take you through that. Today, I'm going to talk about reopening the Bible after the exile. That's exactly what happened to the people of Israel, and we'll cover that today in Ezra chapter 7, Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. And then next week, uh, Pastor Michael Knapstad will talk about rebuilding uh, differently. And then on May 23rd, Pastor Matt will talk about returning to God. And then on May 30th, Pastor Charles will come back and talk about reigniting our worship. They came out of exile and things were new for them. And we are coming out of a kind of exile too as we come out of COVID land. There's going to be all kinds of opportunities for us to do all kinds of different things. What are we going to do? One of the things we should do is reopen the Bible. Ezra chapter 7. Ezra 7. Before I start to read, uh, let me kind of place this in a chronological sequence because um, I know we can kind of get confused about where this actually takes place. So uh, there's a chronological chart conveniently located up here on the platform. Let's say the birth of uh, Jesus is over here. So I'm going to go back 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, this man uh, lived who was called out of the earth of the Chaldees. And he's the father of Judaism and Christianity. And Islam also looks at him as the father of their faith. His name was? Abraham. 500 years in round numbers after Abraham, this guy goes up to this mountain called Sinai, and he comes back with these two tablets. His name is? And Moses has had a brother, and his brother's name was? Aaron. Oh, my gosh, you guys know that. That's fantastic. Aaron was the first of the priestly line. 500 years after Moses, 1,000 years before Jesus, this great king lived, his name was David, and David had a son named Solomon, and Solomon built this magnificent temple. It was kind of the zenith, the peak of uh, Israel as a kingdom, as a sovereign nation state. And then 500 years after that, this massive empire called Babylon comes in, and in 586, they destroy 
Jerusalem, and they haul off everybody in Jerusalem, most everybody, to Babylon. And then after that, a little bit after that, a nation called Persia comes in and takes over Babylon, and the Persians decide to disperse the people and have them go back to Judea. And that's where we're at. Ezra and Nehemiah happens right then. So we're way away from Moses and Abraham. How you guys doing? Shake your heads like this if you kind of follow me. Now we're at Ezra chapter 7. Here we go. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, just take a stop, 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 stop. After these things, after what things? Well, this was Ezra chapter 7, so that means after Ezra chapter 6, what happens in Ezra chapter 6? Well, in Ezra 6, the, uh, the temple building that they went back to build, well, it's completed, and we read in Ezra Chapter 6, uh, this verse, the temple was completed in the sixth, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And now in Ezra chapter 7, we are in the reign of Artaxerxes. Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a huge gap of time. Now we wouldn't know that, but the People who's reading this would know that. We just skipped over about, about 60 years. In your Bible, you can mark 60-year gap between the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, something that we wouldn't see unless we knew. It would be like we're talking about, let's say, President Kennedy and President Biden, and it would be like this. After the reign of John F. Kennedy, during the reign of Joe Biden, every one of us would know, well, you just skipped a bunch of time right there. We all know that. And the people who read Ezra 6 and 7, they knew that a big gap had just occurred. Why am I focusing on this? Because I'm trying to emphasize what Charles said last week. An editor put this material together, and there are huge gaps between chapters. Something's not apparent to us, but to everybody who lived then and read this, absolutely they knew that. How you doing? You follow me? Ezra chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sarariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merioth, the son of Zeruiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishiah, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. <gasps> this Ezra came up from Babylon. Now, when we read that, we go, come on, go, go, get to it. Why all these long words and names that are hard to pronounce? The biblical author is doing something that might not be readily apparent to us. Let's look at this again with some color added. Ezra, and then one, two, three, Four, five, six, seven. And Azariah. Who's Azariah? He was the priest during Solomon's reign. 
when God filled the temple and there was great glory, it's unbelievable. Azariah, oh my gosh, everybody knows him. He was the priest when it was really happening. And then, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then that's Aaron, the chief priest. Aaron is the brother of who? Moses. This is when the priesthood all began. The author is doing something here. He's using a chiastic structure. Look at this little chiastic structure here. Let's go to the bottom. First there's Aaron. He's the first chief priest. And then there's seven priests before the destruction before the construction of Solomon's temple. And then there's Azariah, the first priest in Solomon's temple, seven priests to the destruction of the temple, and Ezra is rebooting the Mosaic system. Why is this important? Because there's no king. There's no king. They are not sovereign. They don't need a king. They need the word of God. And Ezra is being introduced in Ezra 7. The book has his name on it, but this is the first time he's introduced. And he's rebooting the Mosaic system. Let's keep reading. He was a teacher. Ezra was a teacher. Well-versed in the law of Moses, which Yahweh, remember when it's in all caps, it's the personal name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for. For, for the hand of Yahweh, his God, was on him. I want to focus on that word teacher. The English word teacher translates the Hebrew word sofer. Sofer has the idea of uh, one who counts, one who's meticulous. These, uh, these teachers were like they would transcribe the text, the Hebrew text, and they would do that by counting letters. There's no printing press, you guys. Printing press is like, you know, way 1500 AD. So they would count the text, making sure that they got it. So fair. These are, these, are, these are Hebrew nerds, you guys. These are Bible nerds, people who know the Hebrew text in and out. You ever had a conversation with Dr. Charles Yu? So fair. Hebrew Bible nerd. He can read Hebrew like you can read English. He's a scholar. He's like cut out of the same cloth that Ezra was cut out of. Charles didn't know that I was going to say that. He's probably mad at me right now, but I don't really care. <laughs> I got 53 more days. I'm a student of the Bible. Dr. Yu is a scholar of the Bible. There's a difference. Trust me. So fair. That's Ezra. He's a Bible scholar. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon. Remember Charles' message last week? On the first day of the first month, that would be like April... And he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, that's like around August, for the gracious hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of Yahweh 
and to the teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Look at this map from last week. They had left Babylon and traveled 900 miles to Jerusalem. These people had grown up in Babylon. They learned the language of the Babylonians, which was not Hebrew, it was Aramaic. And they traveled 900 miles. Charles said it was like the distance between Madison and Philadelphia. All that way, months and months and months. And now finally they have arrived. And one of the things that they're going to do is that they are going to listen to the Torah. Let's go back to Ezra. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of Yahweh and to its teaching, its decrees, and laws in Israel. He was a sofer, and he was going to teach the people Yahweh's, Yahweh's way. A good example of him doing that is in Nehemiah chapter 8. So take your Bibles or your devices and turn to Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8. And this is what I want to do uh, right now because I sense in this room you guys are falling asleep. So I'd like everyone in this room and at all the sites and venues to stand up. Stand up. Stand up. And um, actually, if you're at home, stand up. No matter where you're at, stand up. And take your Bibles, take your Bibles and close them. Close them and put them down. Welcome to Blackhawk Church, where the pastor tells you, put your Bible away. And I want you to just listen to a few verses from Nehemiah 8. And as you listen, you'll probably figure out why I'm having you do this right now. Nehemiah 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which Yahweh had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak Till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mataniah, Shemaiah, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Mahaseah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkiah, Hashem, Hashbabanda, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the scroll. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised Yahweh, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded... Amen. 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 Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord and they put their faces to the ground. That's okay. You don't have to do that. <laughs> the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabahethai, Odiah, Messiah, 
Kalitia, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, and Peraliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those to people who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our uh, Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still for this holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went to eat and drink and send portions of food and celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Now you can have a seat. Now do you understand why I made you stand up? That took about four minutes. The people at the water gate, they stood up for six hours listening to the Torah being read. Let's look back at that passage. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded them. Who told who to read? Who told who? Do you see that? All the people. All the people. They are the ones. They told Ezra, the teacher. All the people. Who are all of those people? How many are we talking about? Well, in the previous chapter, we see the whole company numbered about, that's the size of Wausau, you guys. Where? Where did they gather? Let's go back, go back to Ezra. In the square before the Watergate, to people who understand the Bible, biblical scholars, and you say, Watergate, they don't think of a hotel in Washington, D.C., They think of Nehemiah 8. This is a huge chapter in the Bible. And what happened at the water gate transformed Israel. And they gathered at the water gate. Who? Who gathered? All of these people they gathered. Here's an artist's rendering of what that might have looked like. Ezra and uh, those other Levites are on that platform. And there's 42,000 people there. The important thing about this picture is to note that it's in Jerusalem and it's not where they are, it's where they are not. Where they are not is important. They're not where. They're not in, what's in Jerusalem, you guys? The temple. They're not in the temple. Why? This is for everyone. Not very many people go in the temple. This is for the people. It's for the masses. Look back at Ezra. This is for men and women and all the people who were able to understand. All the people who were able to understand, that's code language in Ezra and Nehemiah for the children were there. Everybody was there so that they could hear the word of Yahweh proclaimed, the Torah read to them. And it took six hours to read while they were standing. 
many of the people started to weep. My wife read this passage. She goes, well, I know why they were weeping. If you read to me for six hours while I was standing, I'd start crying too. No, 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 no. It's a little, I disagree with her. I think it's a little different reason why they were weeping. But they're all weeping as they're reading. Let's continue reading. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. In their culture, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of respect actually in our culture too. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. They bowed down and they worshiped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. And then we, and then we read this. The Levites, and then he numbers 13 Levites, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. It's a very interesting thing here. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. What were they doing there? These people that they're, are hearing the word in Judea, are they from Judea? The answer is... I'm not doing a good job of teaching, am I? They're from 900 miles away, and that city was called Babylon. They grew up in Babylon. Do they speak Hebrew? The answer is... They spoke Aramaic, Aramaic. Scholars believe that's what's happening. They're, they're translating from Hebrew because the Bible was not written to them. It was written for them, but not to them. The Torah was written to people who came out of Egypt a thousand years earlier. And God wants his people to understand what was written to other people. So they translate it, making sure that people understand the word of God. You can see as a preacher, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It kind of justifies the whole idea of the Bible's not written to us, but for us. How are you guys doing with that? Let's keep reading. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And what the people were doing was weeping and what the priests were saying was, no, 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 this day is holy. This is holy. And it just repeats, this day is holy. This day is holy. These people had a hunger. They had a hunger. They had a passion for the word of God. So the question becomes, do we have that same passion? Do we have that same passion? I would say after 37 years of being a senior pastor in two churches, yeah, I don't see that a lot. I just don't see that a lot. We 
pay lip service to the Bible. We say it's the word of God, and we get all upset if people don't think it's the word of God. But do we actually spend time reading and listening to the Bible? Why don't we? Here's some of my guesses at that. First, the Bible's hard to understand. It's hard to understand. If anybody in church world tells you that the Bible is easy to understand, they're trying to sell you something. Don't trust them. It's hard to understand. Not one of you understood that there were 60 years between Ezra 6 and 7 until I explained it. Everybody who would have read that originally would have known it, just like everybody knows there's 60 years between Kennedy and Biden. We all know that. But the Bible is hard to understand because it's about cultures that we don't know anything about. It's written in languages that we don't understand. The Bible is hard to understand. That's all I'm trying to say. Second reason that we don't spend more time in the Bible is the Bible seems irrelevant to my life. It seems irrelevant. And we have been taught by people who come into our homes that we didn't even invite that everything needs to be relevant like that because you determine what's true. And that value has been taught to us by people we watch on a screen and listen to. That value might be called something like this. Expressive individualism. My identity is not determined by any person, family, or social norms outside my own desires and passions. I, I will find my greatest fulfillment as a human being by being true to my own personal goals and dreams and not compromising those goals and dreams for anyone else. I am sovereign in the world, and I determine what's important. This is not a biblical value but it's a value that we have all been taught. The Bible says you don't determine truth. The Bible says you discover the truth. And there's a big difference between determining it and discovering it. And in our world, if it doesn't apply to me right away, I'm done with it. That's because we live by a different set of values that we've been taught. But if we do spend time in the Word of God, it prepares us for everything. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's not one thing that, that you can attempt to do that the Bible does not equip you to do. Last reason we don't spend much time in the Bible is we're just too busy. We're just too busy. So for all of us who feel like we're too busy, I have a suggestion. And here is my suggestion. Here it is right here. Don't read the Bible. Don't read the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Did the people in Nehemiah 8 at the Watergate were they reading the Bible? The answer is? That's right. They didn't read the Bible. They what? 
They listen to the Bible. So don't read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. You're already doing all kinds of different things. While you're doing those things, download an app and listen to the Bible. If you want to change your habits, add a habit to a habit you already have. So listen to the Bible. Here's what I listen to. I listen to uh, the Bible app that's free. It's the version, And you just Google uh, Bible, uh, and you're going to find the version uh, right away. I listen to version all the time. One of my habits is I do the dishes. And one of my habits is I listen to the whole Bible every year. I've been doing this for like 10 years now. And one of the times I do it is when I'm doing the dishes. You go for a bike ride, you listen to the Bible. Anybody driving a car, listen to the Bible. Mow the lawn, listen to the Bible. If you have a passion for the Bible, you can't get enough of it. You want to listen to it all the time. If you um, download that app, the Bible version, the U version, if you read it, at the top of each page, you're going to see a little compass like it'd be either on the left or the right and that if you read something and you don't understand you click on that compass when you click on that compass you, it'll take you to the bible project and the first words you'll hear will be spoken by tim mackey who used to be on our staff here you can trust tim mackey and he co-leads the bible project if you're not familiar with the bible project you should get familiar with the bible project here's a, a web page of the bible project's most new, the newest video, it's about a Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 8. I can't recommend this enough. This will help you change your habits. Let me give you some practical advice on how you can read uh, the Bible more. Here's some practical steps you can go through. You can read or listen to the book of Proverbs, like with your calendar. There's 31 days in some months, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Just figure out what day of the month it is. It's May 9th, so you read Proverbs chapter 9. You skip a few days, and all of a sudden it's the 13th, read Proverbs 13. You guys follow me? This is one way to do it. If you want to learn more about Jesus, read the book or listen to the book of Mark. Paul's theology, book of Romans, read or listen to that. And read or listen to the Sermon uh, on the Mount. Here's my suggestion for life groups uh, this week. Life groups, you don't have to do this, but uh, this might be a good thing to do. Just listen to the Sermon on the Mount and then pray. Sometimes as evangelicals, we get into the bad habit of after we listen to the Word or read it, we think we then have to add on and say something about it. Just listen to it and then, and then pray. This uh, summer, we have a women's uh, Bible study that will uh, offer you different kinds of teaching for the women to help you understand how to study the Bible. It's in person, and it's uh, also online, and I would encourage you to do that. This week, while we were putting this message together, um, these last three weeks, you know, the teaching team, we kind of do these things for three weeks out, and uh, as we're teaching, and as we're going through this it's obvious. I just had this passion for the Bible. My vision's God and my passion's the Bible. And Pastor Matt, while we were doing this uh, kind of work, you know, behind the scenes, he, he said to me, has anybody asked you what you're passionate about the Bible? And I thought, yeah, well, that's a good question, actually. 
Why do I love the Bible so much? Why am I passionate about it? Let me answer that question with a story. As you know, 53 days from now, I'm going to relinquish this role of being a senior pastor. And uh, as you guys have learned that, uh, many of you are concerned that, like, we're going to move away from Madison. We're not moving away from Madison. But you're like, you know, we're gonna get, we're, you're gonna, are you going to move away? It's a good question. And people usually ask that question. They, they actually know my wife. Because they know my wife struggles with living in Madison. She hates the winters in Madison. My wife struggles with the maze in Madison. So it's a good question. Because she doesn't like the winter. Are we going to move away? We lived in the South for 15 years. There's good reasons to live down there. (laughs) Why aren't we moving to the South? We have one answer for that. And this is the answer. That's our grandson, four-and-a-half-year-old Silas. And about a month from now, he's going to have a little sister. And we're the happiest grandparents in the world. The difference between a parent and a grandparent is that parents have to be with their children. Grandparents want to be with the children. And then we're, we're tired of them. We just give them back to the parents. I want to be with that little guy. I want to pull him in a canoe and take him to Canada and have a wilderness experience, no matter what his mother says. Someday we're going to do that. I want to I watch him play baseball or soccer or the violin or whatever. I just want to be with him. And the vehicle that takes me to him, because he doesn't live in our house, he lives two miles away from us, is is the car. And that car enables me to get into his presence. What the car is in my relationship to my grandson, the Bible is in terms of my relationship with God. It's the vehicle that gets me into his presence. When I think of God, this is what I think of. God is the center of the universe. Hello, I'm not. And you're not. God created all things. This is just one picture of one galaxy. There are billions of galaxies. And the God who created all those galaxies, he He speaks to me. This is his breath. (laughs) And I want to know his mind. And I have an opportunity to know his mind by being in the Bible. So, read the Bible or listen to the Bible as you come out of COVID land. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask you, Father, to give us a zeal for your word, a passion for your word. And we confess that we 
listen to voices and values that come into our home. And we listen to them more than we listen to you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be people who would turn off, turn off those devices and turn toward your word, which is eternal and can transform our lives, giving us an ability to sit at your feet and to understand your mind. We pray, Father, that your spirit would fire a hunger in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name and for the sake of his reputation. All those people said.